Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Good to be in the house of the Lord and see each and every one of you today. During the song service, <clears throat> I had a moment of a panic attack. I remembered this coming week is Thanksgiving. I don't have a Thanksgiving sermon. And then right after that, I remembered, oh, it doesn't make any difference. I don't do holidays anyhow. Uh, I don't normally... Uh, there are some ministers that, you know, they'll have their Easter sermon and they'll have their uh, Thanksgiving sermon and their Christmas sermon and their Mother's Day sermon and their Father's Day sermon and their Veterans Day sermon and their Independence Day and all that stuff. I don't do that. Uh, seldom have I ever done that. But having said that, uh, I do like Thanksgiving because we do need to give thanks to the Lord. And when you're sitting there looking at that big old 20-pound turkey and uh, 500 pounds of food around it, just think that a couple of hundred years ago, there were people in this nation, before it was a nation, that didn't even know if they was going to live through the wintertime that they might starve before they got food again. That would be scary, wouldn't it? So let us indeed be thankful for what God has blessed us with. I'd like to begin this morning in Romans chapter 7, and I would like to read the first four verses of Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Paul says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man, as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, he is loose from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead... She is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, even though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. <clears throat> what I'd like for us to look at this morning for a little while is our union with Christ. And even being a little bit more specific, the privileges that we have of being married to Christ. Now, this passage that we just read to you, you may have thought that that was Christ and, and God impressing Paul to write this letter, that here was great instruction upon marriage and divorce and adultery. That's not what it is at all. In like manner, you can go over to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians where you see a lot of words about marriage. And at the end of that, Paul said in that a particular passage he said but I speak 
in regards, and this is an exact language, we'll look at it here in a moment, Lord willing, I speak in regards to the church. Paul is not speaking about marriage and all of that here in this passage. If you want a good instruction on marriage, you need to go where that is the topic under consideration. Go to Matthew chapter 19, you go to Mark chapter 10, and you'll find specific instruction when the Lord was teaching on that subject. And let me just say this about marriage, one of the things that's so sad about marriage. You remember, when, and this is over in, in Mark chapter 10, when the, some people came to the Savior and said, uh, reminded the Savior about, well, you know, back in Moses' time, he gave the people a writing of divorcement. And the Lord answered that statement by saying, Moses gave that writing a divorcement because of the hardness of their hearts. And let me say that in this society we live in today, there's a lot of hardness of hearts. And let us pray that the Lord will bless us as a nation to recover from that. Now, what Paul was writing this letter about here in Romans, and if you go back in the book of Romans, where Paul is preaching about how we're saved, that it's all of God, it's nothing of us. And then, if he brought some of these points to a, a head at the end of chapter 5, as he began chapter 6, he brought forth that question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And, of course, the answer was, God forbid. And then later on, when you get down uh, further in chapter 6, that same thing is asked in verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And again, the answer, God forbid. And certainly we know that we've all heard this from time to time when people began to hear about the doctrines of grace, how that we're chosen in Christ. And before we were ever born, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and made sure our place in heaven, that we're going to go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's nothing that we have to do. The price has already been paid. It's been paid in full. And when you hear that doctrine, so often people say, well, if I believe that, I would go out and sin all I wanted to. And Paul has answered that in chapter 6 by using the parallel to our position in Christ with slavery. That we were once in slavery, in bondage to sin, but now we are free from that bondage of sin, and now if we're slaves... We are slaves to Jesus Christ. But when we get to chapter 7, Paul is still dealing with that same issue about why that we who believe in the doctrine of election and salvation by grace, that we do not believe that we have uh, the privilege and the encouragement to go out and sin all we want. And he's going to use the analogy and the parallel of marriage. And so as he began to write this, and he's talking about marriage, 
He's using something that we all can identify with. We've all gone through this. We all understand what he's talking about. Where two people get together, a man and a woman come before a minister of God or other uh, official that's certified to do that and unites a man and a, a woman in holy matrimony. And I guess every one of those services that I've been to, I know for all of them that I've officiated at, that you'd come to that point at the end of it and you'd say, you know, till death do you part. We're all familiar with that phrase, aren't we? Till death do you part. And all these about being united together as one until death do you part. All the people that Paul was writing to that, that read this letter, they understood that. And we understand that. Now, we know in society today what's happened. You know, uh, as we've already mentioned, the hardness of heart. You can go back to other places in Scripture. It talks about, you know, one partner being unfaithful to the other. All of the... Paul's not interested in all these exceptions and the problems. He's dealing with the main theory and the main teaching uh, of marriage to bring forth a point. Now, what Paul is going to say is that you and I, as God's children, as regenerated, born again, born from above, children of God, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In our relationship, whether you want to think of it as an individual or as a church, that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is just like the relationship that we have as a man and a wife here in this world today. And that's what I want to bring forth to you this morning. The Lord will bless us for a few moments. So what are the privileges of being in a union with Jesus Christ? The first thing that I will mention is that when we are at union with Jesus Christ, we have the privilege and I believe it is a privilege. We have the privilege of sharing his name. Now, you want to go back to Genesis chapter 5 for just a moment. And I want to show you something that the basis of something that we all do. In Genesis chapter 5, <clears throat> look at verse 2. Now, we all know the history of creation, right? I mean, the basics of it. God created this world. Let there be light, there was light. He spoke and this whole thing came into existence. He made man from the dust of the earth. And then he made the woman. He made Adam, made Eve. But notice something here in Genesis chapter 5 in verse 2. He said, Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. Isn't that a little uh, eye-opening about why we do some things the way that we do it? When my bride and I were united in marriage just a few short years ago, um, seems like it's just a few short years. You know, time flies and you're having fun, I realize that. But 
I say that because I'll get in trouble if I don't say that. Now, as soon as that wedding ceremony was over and we got back and set up house, you know what my bride did? She went down to the courthouse and had her last name legally changed to my last name. Now, why did she do that? You say, well, that's the way everybody used to always do that. Well, that's true, but where did it start at? Right here. Right here in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2. Now, I think it's a disturbing trend in the world that we live in today when a man and woman unite in marriage and the woman will not take the husband's name. That, that bothers me. Now, I don't know anybody's situation here. There may be, you know, several of you that have married and didn't take your husband's name. Uh, I'll just tell you up front, you may have your reasons, but I don't believe it's scriptural. It's scriptural to take your husband's name. Now, why do I think it's so important for a wife to take the husband's name? Well, I want to look at this parallel and the privilege that we have of being in union with Christ. Now, if we as individuals or we as a church have been united and we're at union with Christ, we're the bride, he's the groom, isn't it a privilege to be able to take his name as our name? Uh, you know, look in... Uh, I believe this is in Philippians chapter 2. Think about the name of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, when Paul is talking about his Savior Jesus Christ, he says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, that sounds like a pretty good name to me, doesn't it, to you? I am thankful that I am blessed to be able to take the name of Christ. I am thankful to be called a Christian. Aren't you? Aren't you thankful to take the name of Jesus Christ and be called a Christian? No. If you were serving as in, uh, in your life, maybe you were a Buddhist or a Hindu or something else like that, and the Lord worked to work on your heart, and you decided you was going to accept the teachings of the Bible, and you said, well, uh, yeah, those things are right, but I'm going to keep telling everybody I'm a Hindu. Now, what kind of sense would that make? wouldn't make any sense, would it? Now, if Jesus Christ has the highest name, highly exalted name, you know there's no other name on the face of the earth that can bring happiness and joy as the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, you talk about a poor, sin-sick sinner that can hear about Jesus Christ and salvation that we have in Christ. They rejoice in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, how many of you came here this morning looking forward to being able to sing songs of praise, worshiping the name of Jesus Christ? I think it's a privilege to be able to share 
the name of Jesus Christ with him. So the first privilege that we have of being at union with Christ, we can call ourselves by his name. And I don't know why I wouldn't want to call myself by his name unless I was ashamed of him. You know, I've knew people in the past, and about time my bride and I became united in marriage, I had other friends that got married, and, and I heard about these wives that weren't taking the husband's name. And I thought to myself, if that's the way that marriage is going to start, I don't think I'd even start it. If my bride said she wasn't taking my name. I said, that's it. I'm out of here. You say, well, that may be kind of severe. Well, I want to do things God's way. Now, that's the first privilege. Here's the second privilege. Not only do we share the name of our Savior, we share his standing. Now, this is a biggie. We stare, share his standing. What do you mean we share his standing? Whatever Christ is, and he's an exalted, perfect, and holy, and righteous one, when we were united with him, this union we have with Christ, we share that with him. Now, you go over to Ephesians chapter 1, and you get down to verse 6, and you see there where it says, To the praise, to the, praise the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You know, people all the time in the religious world talking about, you know, accepting Christ. You know, that's not the big issue. It's not the big issue theologically whether we accept Christ or not. Oh, it's important to accept what he's done and rejoice in it. But you know what the even bigger issue is? Has God accepted us? And by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are now accepted in the beloved. The Father accepts us. He looks at us, and he sees us as holy and righteous, just like Jesus Christ is. Aren't you thankful for that today, that we can share that with our Savior? You get in this same book, you go over to chapter 2, and you get down to verse 6, and Paul says, He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, that's the status that we share with Christ. We are now, whether you feel like it or not, do you know that you are sitting in heavenly places with Christ today? We have a blessing and a privilege of sitting in those places with Christ. You can look at, at uh, verse 18, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. It says, for through him, through Christ, it says, we both, and he's talking about Jew and Gentile, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. You know what we share with Christ? Access to the Father. Isn't it wonderful to know that at any time we want to have access to God the Father in heaven above? All we got to do is start talking. We just have to pray. We have access to the Father. Isn't that amazing? And you know something? 
He hears every single prayer. He hears every single utterance that we have. And he's going to answer every one. We have access to the Father. Now, kind of some of the parallels you're trying to think, and I don't, I don't want to, to uh, uh, be political. We're not supposed to be political and stand. Now, sometimes political issues are biblical issues also. But let's just say that uh, you, one of you ladies here, years ago married a man by the name of Donald Trump. Would you have taken his name? I mean, here's a billionaire. Now, if you don't like that, well, you can swap him, Joe Biden or Barack Obama or somebody like that. And John Kennedy, you know, that would have that probably been a better parallel back in those days. You know, I'm not being political. So certainly somebody's going to marry him is going to take their name because that's prestige with that name. But also look at all the stuff that they had and the social standing that pretty well had. You think somebody that married a John Kennedy or a Donald Trump is going to say, there's no use us living in your penthouse or your mansion out in the country in Boston. You know, let's just get us a little trailer house and put it down by the lake. That's not going to happen, is it? I mean, there's not anything wrong with trailer houses. You know, we, my bride and I have lived in a couple of them. We loved them. But we want to enjoy the standings of our bride, don't we? Now, there's something else that we are blessed to enjoy the standing of Christ. I want to turn back for just a moment to Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, the Lord is going to give a parable. It's another one of the parables about the kingdom of heaven. And this particular one here in Matthew 22 is about the king who made a marriage for his son. And that's what we're talking about today, aren't we? We're talking about a king, God the Father in heaven above, that made a marriage for his son, Jesus Christ. And you and I are the bride. Now, so he's going through this parable. He's, remember the story about those were invited and the servants went out to, to bring in those invited and they all had excuses. And then he said to the servants, go out, and this is verse 10, go out into the highways. And they went out and they gathered all the people out in the highways. And in that day and time, the king, the one putting on this marriage feast for his son, he would have this great feast, have all the servants there to feed everybody, you know, just as good as any Thanksgiving dinner you can imagine. And then he had special wedding garments for everybody to put on. And so this king would sent these servants out into the streets to bring forth uh, guests so there would be people at the wedding. And then when the king comes in, he sees a man there that does not have on a wedding garment. This is verse 11. And so he says in verse 12, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? 
you and I are blessed today as we share in the standing of our Savior to have on the wedding garment of Jesus Christ. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me give you another illustration from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61. If you go through and read Isaiah chapter 61, you're going to see lots of little pieces of this chapter that you've heard preached about a lot. But I want to look at verse 10. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10, here's what the prophet says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. You and I have the blessings today of having on, as we gather here this morning, as being united to Jesus Christ in marriage, a union with Christ, we have on the wedding garments of Jesus Christ. And those wedding garments are the righteousness of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty impressive to me. That's something I want to have. You remember over, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he says, For he made him, speaking of Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may, might be made the righteousness of him. Jesus Christ took our sins on the cross and he washed our sins away in his blood and because of that we then put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So now you and I have this great privilege and blessing to stand before God the Father and we're wearing the robe that Christ has given us and that robe is the righteousness of Christ. That's a pretty good benefit of being united with Christ, isn't it? Jesus Christ gave us that robe, and now we appear before the Father as perfect and holy. Now, I know y'all all thought, as y'all looked upon me this morning, that, that I'm just a perfect and righteous and, and wonderful individual. Well, not in this world. <laughs> but you know there's coming a time that when you look at me, you'll see me in that way. And you know what's important to me right now? That God the Father can look at me standing before you this morning and he sees me as perfect and righteous and holy. You know why? Because he sees me as wearing the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that, in, isn't that wonderful? That we can stand before God as righteous individuals. So not only are we blessed to share in the name of Christ, not only are we blessed to share in the standing of Christ as being in union with Christ, we are also blessed to share in the possessions of Christ. You go over to Romans uh, chapter 8, and this verse will be familiar uh, to each and every one of you, I think. And Paul said over there in verse 17, and if children... Let me back up to verse 16. 
The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. You and I this morning, because of this union we have with Christ, we are joint heirs. Joint heirs with Christ. Well, if I had an attorney come to me and says you're an heir to an estate, uh, you know what my question would be? Good, what do I get? Well, that's a question that I'm ready to ask you this morning. You're heirs. You're an heir of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. What do you get? Everything. What do you mean everything? Everything. Everything in this universe is ours. A number of years ago, my bride and I went on a, uh, a vacation to Yellowstone National Park, saw a whole bunch of beautiful scenery in that national park. And, you know, that park is owned by this nation. And, you know, that we could look at that beauty, the mountains there and the lakes and the streams and all those different amazing things that we saw there, and we could look at all that beauty and we could state, we own this. You know that's true? As citizens of the United States, we own that national park. Now, it's undivided. We couldn't go over and say, this little square foot over here is mine. When you're a joint heir, that means it's undivided. So in essence, in this idea of being a joint heir, Everything that you and I see is ours. Now, we need to enjoy what God has given us. But you know what the important part of that inheritance is? Living in heaven with God forever. That's the important part. Heaven's what we get. Heaven's what we get. Being forever and ever with the Lord. That's what we get. That's our inheritance. And we share in that blessing with Jesus Christ. Well, there's something else that we share that's a benefit of being in union with the Lord. You know, there's been times, many times in the past that perhaps it's when I come into church or maybe it's through the handshake or maybe it's during a communion service. I might tell some of you, brethren and sisters, you know, I might tell Brother Kenny during a handshake, love you, brother. You know, I might tell one of you sisters during a handshake, you know, or after communion, I love you, dear sister. And that's true, I do love you. But there is one person in this room this morning that I share a special degree of love with. My bride and I have a depth of love that goes beyond what I express to everybody else. We have a, 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 a knowledge, a deep, intimate knowledge of one another, and sometimes it's scary, you know, that I'm thinking of something, and then she'll start talking about it. You know, sometimes she knows what I'm thinking. That scares me to death. You know, sometimes I know what she's thinking. We have this, this deep knowledge one with another. We know what one another's cares are we know what our concerns are our fears we know we've been together so long we know all of that we know our fears know our problems 
Know what brings us happiness and joy. You and I have that same relationship this morning with Jesus Christ. He knows what you're afraid of today. He knows your fears. He knows your discouragements. He knows your trials. He knows all of that. And he has compassion. Just as like when my bride is discouraged and cast down, I try to cheer her up. That's what our Savior will do for us. Aren't you thankful that we share that special bond of love with Jesus Christ, our Savior, that knows our every thought, our every concern, and he's there to lift us up and get us through the trials of this life. I'm thankful for that, God. Now, there's one last point, one last privilege that I want to, to uh, mention to you. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, I mentioned earlier that we try to get to Ephesians chapter 5. One of the other benefits that we have, privileges that we have, of being in union with Christ is that he protects us and he cares for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, it said that, verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. You know the Lord loves his church. The Lord loves each and every one of his family. And he's there to cherish it and to nourish it and to provide for it and give us the things that we need to feed us when we need fed, to give us medicine when we need to, to be healed. The Lord is there to, to care for us. Aren't you thankful for that? What if Jesus Christ would have died upon the cross for us 2,000 years ago, just like he did, and we never, ever knew about it? We never, ever had church, not once a week, not once a month, not once a year, not ever. I mean, we'd be wandering around out there in, in misery, wouldn't we? We'd be lost. God feeds us spiritually. And he cares for us. Oh, and by the way, he does that naturally too. <laughs> and some of us need a lot more of God's help than others do. You know. Now, look at another thing. You go over to 1 Peter. <clears throat> you go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. And in every wedding that I perform, I bring out this verse. I'll go over it when I'm talking to the couple before the wedding ceremony, but it's so important. And Peter, writing this letter there, he's speaking again about this subject of marriage. He says in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, to your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, Peter was saying that the wife is a weaker vessel. 
Now, what is he talking about? Now, my first idea when I read this verse years ago, well, you know, I'm supposed to be the big, strong, six-foot-six husband, you know, that's got all these muscles and got all these smarts and all that stuff. And, you know, my beautiful little wife over here, you know, I'm going to be this big monster that protects her. Uh, if y'all notice, I ain't six foot six. You know, I don't have any of those big, strong muscles either. So what's he talking about? If he's not talking about the physical, now many times that is the case. But what's he talking about as the weaker vessel? You know, you can go into some person's kitchen or the dining room, and let's say you have a, a stainless steel plate. All right? I can take that stainless steel plate, and I can eat out of it, and I can pound on it with my fork while I'm trying to cut my well-done steak. You know, all these things, get through it, I can throw it over in the sink. Now, if I had instead picked of that steel, instead of that stainless steel plate, if I'd picked up one of very fine china, what would have happened if I would have thrown that china plate over into the sink? It would have shattered into pieces, wouldn't it? Now, see, the point Peter's making is not just that it's fragile, but because it's a value. You know, you can take a very fine, uh, and I don't know what this means, but I've read it, so I'll tell you. You take a Chinese vase from the Ming Dynasty. Everybody knows what that's talking about? <laughs> I've heard about it. I know those things are supposed to be worth hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars. If I had that sitting in my living room, I would not put it down on the coffee table where the dog could knock it over or kids could knock it over or the more likely scenario... I would trip and knock it over. I'm going to put it somewhere where it's safe. Why? Because it's weak and it'll be break, might break easy. Well, that's part of it. But the main thing is because it has high value. That's what Peter's talking about. The wife is of high value. You remember what Solomon said? Who findeth a wife findeth a good thing? A wife is of high value. And husbands are supposed to treasure the wives because of that and to treat them as a weaker vessel. No, not that they're physically weaker. Definitely know that they're not weaker uh, mentally and emotionally. They're much stronger than most men are. But because they're high value, they're supposed to be valued. That great, they're supposed to be treasured. Now, how does that apply to us as we're looking at our union with Christ? Here Jesus Christ is the groom. We are the bride. Jesus Christ is looking at us and he's seeing us as something of high value. Aren't you glad that Christ looked at you like that? He looks at us as something of great, high, and wonderful value. And because of that, he's going to protect us. He's going to care for us. Now, how far will his care and his protection go? I would not hesitate to tell you this morning that if the need arose without even thinking about it, 
I would step in front of my wife and preserve her life. I would die for my wife without even thinking about it. You think Christ would do that for his bride? Oh, wait a minute. He already has, hadn't he? He cherishes us. He loves us. He died for us. Now, let's go back where we started. Now, the good news about going back to uh, Romans chapter 7, it means I'm almost done. All right? Romans chapter 7. Let's go back. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. <clears throat> so we are at this union with Christ. All these privileges and blessings we have of being at union with Christ. What's the purpose of all of this? What is the purpose of a union between a man and a wife? I mean, when, when God created man, he said to the other members of the Godhead, it's not good for man to be alone. And so they created, God created Eve. But then when he brought them together in marriage, what did he tell them? Go multiply. Be fruitful. Here's the purpose of our union with Christ. We are to bring forth fruit. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 4, where we finished reading a while ago. The last phrase of that says that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Could you be a little bit more specific? What are we talking about when we say fruit? What are we supposed to be bringing forth? If our union with Christ is supposed to bring forth fruit, what is that fruit? What happens when we are united with Christ? What is brought forth? Holiness. Christ has made us holy. But we should also strive to live our life in bringing forth holiness in our life. You know, oftentimes a child is born and it has the characteristics of the husband, of the father. You know, say that it's tall and, and stature or, or maybe red hair or, you know, maybe some other physical feature, maybe some talent or skill passed from the father through the mother into that child. Well, that same thing should happen to us we should be bringing forth holiness our father is holy excuse me our, our husband jesus christ is holy we should be bringing forth holiness in our lives that's the fruit that we should bring forth now one last thought when we started we mentioned in this wedding ceremony and i've always heard that we will be united in marriage till death do us part. Well, let's say that that same thing applies in this marriage that we have with Christ. Till death do us part. Let me ask you a question. We've got all these privileges of, of of being the bride of Christ, all these wonderful privileges, how long is it going to last? 
till death do us part. Is Christ ever going to die? He conquered death and rose again. He's not going to die. Are you and I going to die? I'm talking about in eternal sense, spiritual sense. No. You know what that means? All these blessings and all these privileges that we have of being the bride of Christ will be forever. They'll never end. Hallelujah. And thank the Lord for his goodness.